Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Online dating is taking over the world. Even before the pandemic, online dating was already the primary way many folks were meeting new potential partners. With, all, with traditional dating canceled in 2020, it's only grown in relevance. This week, I'm excited to welcome Maylin Quinn and Luis Sanchez on the podcast to discuss this online dating trend and the state of the industry after Bumble's recent IPO and Match's record acquisition of HyperConnect. Uh, Maylin and Luis, thank you all for joining me. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, great to have you back on, Luis. Maylin, great to have you on the podcast uh, for the first time. Before we do- dive into this topic, you know, for folks uh, who, who haven't met you before, can you tell us about what you do at The Fool, uh, what you cover, and uh, yeah, what, what, what brought you to The Fool? Absolutely. So I recently joined the analyst team as part of the investment development program, but I actually studied journalism and economics at school. And I I first came to The Fool as an intern this past summer. I was helping out with booking guests for Motley Fool Live and designing graphics for the Instagram. Uh, I've been a longtime investor and and this is my dream. So I'm so excited to be learning more about you know, how to invest wisely and to be joining the team full time. Awesome. Well, well, great to have you on and, and, you know, excited to have you on to help us talk about online dating today. Before we dive into Match and Bumble and all the exciting things that are going on with these companies, just want to talk about this trend broadly. When you look at online dating, uh, I think the numbers are are two thirds to to three quarters of new couples being formed today meeting online. If you look at some of these statistics, when you just look around, like, do you have any friends that just aren't on a dating app today? Like if you're if you're single and you're available, you kind of have to be right. I'd say so. I, most of my friends are on these apps, and it seems like whether we like it or not, dating is online dating is the future. You know, you mentioned the Tyro Partners paper before we started. Uh, that indicates that almost 75% of new couples have met online. So, pretty outstanding numbers there. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, one of the things I really loved about that Tyro Partners paper is they pointed out something that's kind of obvious in hindsight, which is that if you look at like the academic research or the survey data, you know, they say maybe like closer to 40 or 50% of new couples meet online. But there's probably a lot of underreporting because people don't like to talk about their use of dating apps. So the market may be even bigger than what a lot of people would guess based on just you know, traditional survey work. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, f- from my perspective, if you talk to any of my friends, I mean, it seems like everybody is is on dating apps. And, and even in, uh, you mentioned, I mentioned off the top with 2020, the pandemic, everybody being locked at home. Uh, you've seen downloads move up in a meaningful way, particularly at the start of the pandemic. You've seen average ages of folks downloading the platform move lower. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, if you're at college, normally you'd be going to the parties and things like that, meeting people. All that's canceled. So so if you want to be, you know, dating as a young person, you kind of have to be uh, on these apps. There's also uh, 
some benefits in, in some communities, you know, in homosexual communities in particular, were very early adopters um, of, of online dating because it, you know, offered them some more safety uh, to meet folks and, and things like that. So there's been some growth uh, in those communities as well. And then overseas, you know, uh, in, in markets where women have less sexual autonomy, autonomy, you see some benefits from online dating as well. So it's both grown the pool, been more convenient for folks, but also empowering uh, for some gr groups that haven't traditionally uh, had the same access, the same autonomy in dating as the majority of folks. Yeah, um, you know, this is another area where it, this was like one of these long term offline to online transitions that has probably been accelerated by COVID, all things being equal. And there's a lot of interesting, you know, demographic tailwinds, you know, people are getting married at an older age, devices are more ubiquitous, there's, you could pretty much pick up Tinder, when you're just sitting around at a bar, or really anywhere. So the friction has really been reduced which has also helped uh, grow the popularity of these services. Sure. And there's this network effect as well. The more people that are on the platform, uh, the more you have to be on there, et cetera, and the more, more opportunity as well. I think one, one thing that's important to, to point out before we hop into the discussion on, on Bumble um, and Match is the difference in kind of gender dynamics and, and how folks use the platform. I think that that's really important uh, to call out. I, I, I can take that one. Yeah. So, so if you look, so if you look, uh, men on the platform, obviously, as you would expect, much, much higher usage um, of the platform, use it much more intensely, or are more inclined to, to use it for maybe kind of casual uses or, or things like that. But women really drive the bus on online dating. Men, men go there to, to, to find women. Um, women accumulate matches much more easily than men and, and do so much faster. So women don't have to spend as much time on the platform. Big takeaway for these companies, which we'll talk about in a minute, is because women match so much more effectively, women aren't paying money uh, at the same rate to, to get additional matches on the platform. So when you talk about um, Bumble and Match that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, um, the, the main drivers of, of purchasing behavior, the folks who are paying to get extra matches, are men, but what really matters, the population that's important is men aren't going to go to any platform that don't have women on there. So, so uh, that, that can, I think that is, is, a, is maybe a decent transition to talking about uh, what's going on in the, in the news now. Bumble uh, came public last week. It's, it's now the second maybe primary way you can invest in online dating. Match has been public for a number of years. It's been the juggernaut uh, in the space. Now Bumble uh, coming public uh, as a challenger last week, began trading last Thursday on the NASDAQ, closed up 63% on its first day of trading, has a nine billion dollar market cap uh, last last I looked at it this morning what investors need to know about Bumble we talk about these different gender dynamics and Bumble really calls out this women make the first move dynamic Malin where does the Bumble product stand out for you among this kind of sea of dating apps yeah absolutely I think the general impression of Bumble is that it's for sparking more meaningful relationships opposed to tinder you know where folks go for flings and more for the fun, unexpected conversations. And I think Bumble's viewed this way because women, as you mentioned, have to message first and you have to put in extra effort in this app, extra effort for men to stand out to women and extra effort to, uh, for women, you know, to initiate these conversations. My initial thoughts are maybe gals don't always want to message first, you know, for the lazy and shy girls. I can't help but feel that for heterosexual relationships, it would seem like you'd have to be a real standout guy to get 
meaningful interactions and to find success on Bumble, where the woman has to put in the initial work, especially when you think of data that suggests women judge men more harshly on dating apps. So that's my first instinct, that it, this would be tough on dudes, but perhaps that's what gets guys to pay up for these extra features. And there could be something to this. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what kind of path to profitability emerges for Bumble. And as you mentioned, it's, it's really up to women. At the end of the day, it seems like the most successful app will be the one that can retain the most women swiping. And one thing I love about Bumble is its BFF and networking section that you can, you know, make new friends or, or you can connect with other working professionals. It, it seems like women are interested in these sections, at least more so than men, you know, to find brunch and shopping buddies on, on Bumble BFF. And with that, Bumble's found a great way to attract more women and become an all-in-one for women wanting to expand their career, social and romantic lives. So I certainly get Bumble's strategy and advantage there. You know, it has the network effects, right? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts, Luis. I know you looked into Bumble's financials and IPO perspectives. What do you think of its prospects as a company? Absolutely. Um, yeah, sure. So I was looking through the S1 when the company IPO'd, and they really drive home their cultural perspective of being a woman-first company. And it's pretty much throughout the DNA. So the founder of the company, actually, her name is uh, Whitney. Sorry. Uh, Whitney Wolford. <laughs> Whitney Wolford. I keep fumbling her name. Um, she was actually an early employee at, uh, at Tinder, which is owned by Match. And she had some really great firsthand experience getting Tinder off the ground. And she left in 2014 to immediately found Bumble. And she she runs the company today, and she's really built the company in this kind of image. So most of her management team are composed of, of females. Three quarters of her board is com is composed of females, and you know, driven by this women make the first move product, it's it's really led to this phenomenon where relative to other dating apps, Bumble has more women compared to to other other products, and they claim that women actually monetize at higher rates. So those are, those are some really interesting characteristics that make Bumble stand out. And I think what, what I really kind of came to is when it first launched, they had to have a reason why people would use this. So they had a point of product differentiation. But I think several years into their journey as a company, they've really cultivated a brand around it. And it's really a lot more than just the app works differently. I really feel like they actually have developed a real brand that they can build uh, a bigger business around. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it has kind of a clear use case and where where it fits um, into the market. I, I think the other thing that I think is interesting about Whitney Wolf heard thirty one years old, youngest female founder to take a company public. You talk about uh, the demographics in this space. I, you know, I would say that the further you get from thirty, probably the the less uh, insights you maybe have to to your core customer uh, of what's going on here. I, I think it's exciting to have a young a young founder kind of leading leading this company. Any thoughts? Uh, uh, you know, you may land when you when you look at what you know Whitney Wolf heard her her role in this business. Um, she has controls fourteen percent of the voting stake. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we haven't spoken about Match just yet, but I feel that 
leadership may be one of the areas Match is lacking in comparison to Bumble. You know, Match is not founder-led, unlike Bumble. And uh, Whitney Wolford, she actually left Tinder over frustrations about sexual harassment. She actually sued Tinder for this. So I, I definitely see Bumble's edge over that. You know, many of Bumble's executives and board members are women, and they seem to take a much more forward approach to corporate governance and culture. Certainly, yeah. There's been lots of tension back and forth uh, between uh, Match Group and Bumble. You mentioned that sexual harassment lawsuit. They actually had a lawsuit over this summer where there had been uh, some conflict. Uh, Match owns the patent to the, the swipe right uh, mechanism, and there had been some conflict between Bumble uh, over Bumble using that. But they, they had settled that, that lawsuit. And then some other allegations uh, around uh, Match had, had potentially wanted to acquire Bumble um, at one time. What, one other kind of interesting factor, you talk about that the founder-led uh, nature of the business, which I think, I think from my perspective, as I said earlier, very exciting particularly her youth, I think is, is interesting because she knows these customers who are using um, the platform. On the other side of that, though, is this company is majority controlled um, majority controlled by the, uh, the Blackstone Group. Um, and so this is, this is a private e equity uh, uh, entity. Uh, so you think about this idea that you know, founder-led, that's great, but also this kind of faceless uh, private equity uh, group. Luis, th kind of thoughts on this tension between the founder-led nature of the business and then this kind of banking uh, financial entity that also is a, is a controlling stakeholder? It's, it's an interesting dynamic. I'd say it's probably not an unusual dynamic in the broader scope of IPOs. Uh, I actually have a lot of comfort that Whitney Wolf is, she's kind of in control. She, she uh, I feel like the, the company is in, in a lot of sense, a mirror image of her philosophy on what she wanted to build. I do worry, in, in one sense that because Blackstone does has, have such a large ownership, you know, they're not going to maintain that large ownership forever. So it could actually put an overhang on the stock. You know, it just IPO'd and the, the stock has, an, has a lockup. But at, at a certain point, they are going to be selling down their stake, which is certainly a consideration when looking at a new IPO like this. Certainly, yeah, this idea of that, that float opening up and there being some, some selling pressure um, on the stock, what one thing we haven't talked about that I think is worth mentioning is, is Bumble is the leading app, uh, you know, of this company, dominant in North America, really driving significant portions of the revenue. Which maybe we we can talk about that. Uh, but there is this other part of the business, Badu, which is more internationally focused, actually larger uh, when it comes on a monthly active user basis. What should we know about where Badu fits into this uh, overall Bumble story, Luis? Yeah, so. As you mentioned, uh, Badu is more of a European and Latin America focused dating app. It's, it hasn't really taken, it doesn't really have much traction in the US. And surprisingly, we hear a lot about Bumble, obviously the, the company is named Bumble, but Badu actually has more users than Bumble. In fact, Badu had, according to the S1, 28 million monthly active users, whereas Bumble only had 12 million monthly active users, so more than double. Interesting, interestingly, though, if you look at the underlying financials, the Bumble users are actually monetized better. So the Bumble app still represents a larger, a majority of the company's revenue, despite having less users. And the Bumble user base and the Bumble revenue base is growing at like 10 times the growth rate compared to the Badu um, business. So it, it's interesting to, to see that dynamic. And 
if you have to think, if you have to take a look at the assets and you have to think about where the value is, it's pretty clear that the real value in this business is Bumble and the future growth of Bumble. Although Badu is kind of a nice balancing asset to have because it, it does give the company some, some exposure to international markets and potentially some other demographics that they're not going to hit with Bumble. Um, yeah, and one of the interesting things going back to the story is actually that there is some synergy between the two apps. So they do share some, some common back office uh, like overhead and technology expenses. In fact, I read that Bumble was uh, built in a lot of ways. It scaled off of that Badu infrastructure. So having that Badu asset definitely helped in, in, in contributing to Bumble's very rapid rate of growth. Yeah, certainly. And you, you, you talk about Bumble culturally, um, you know, this, this big focus on women, this big focus on, on safety. They call out a lot of their, their safety features on the platform. Badu's been around a lot longer, uh, different founder, different history. Uh, now that Badu is kind of under this umbrella with Bumble, there is some potential for, for Bumble to inculcate some of their culture into what's going on at Badu, bring in some of that, those safety features, things like that, clean up what's going on um, that platform. So there is, there, there is some, some room for expansion, but very much uh, the story being driven um, by, by Bumble today. When you look at performance of the business, obviously there, there's been this impact um, from the pandemic. Where, where are we seeing as far as performance of the business over the past year or so uh, during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. So in from 2018 to 2019, the overall uh, Bumble business grew about 35%. And Digging into that a little bit, the Bumble app itself grew 70% and the Badu app only grew 7%. So referencing how Bumble is growing a lot faster than Badu. But in 2020, the pandemic did not help online dating apps and revenue growth significantly slowed. We have the data for the first three quarters of 2020 and the overall revenue growth went down to about 15%. So it halved from 35 to 15% and Bumble slowed from a 70% growth rate in 2019 to a 25% growth rate for the first three months of 2020. And, you know, logically it makes sense, right? If people aren't trying to, if people are being cautious around meeting new people, they're gonna probably be spending less time and less money on online dating apps. So it does make sense that revenue growth slowed. So in a sense, this could actually be an interesting reopening play as as we look to what happens after the pandemic. Yeah, I think that that's one of the interesting dynamics you see uh, of these online dating uh, platforms is is you know to your point, Luis, maybe there's not an incentive to accelerate your rate of matches to pay to to accelerate your rate of matches in a time where listen, I'm not going to go meet anybody uh, who I match with because it's during a, a a pandemic. But there is an incentive to you know have have a presence on these on these online platforms. So maybe I will have a date whenever the world some at some point uh, uh, re returns to normal, whether that's on. On, uh, on Bumble or, or one of these other platforms, which, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, match uh, briefly. You know, when you when you look at Bumble, one last thing I wanted to talk about on, on the rest one before maybe we give some final thoughts and move on to matches. Anytime I look at uh, look at any S1 filing or any kind of prospectus from a company, I, it's just kind of a practice thing. You control F and you put in material weakness and see if anything pops up. We did see kind of one pop uh, on that in the uh, in the Bumble S1 saying there was a material weakness in their financial reporting. Any concerns around that language, uh, Luis, as you peruse the S1? 
Yeah, so a material weakness refers to the internal accounting policies of a company. So how how accurate their, their reporting might be or how, how many like checks they have on their numbers. This is kind of a, an internal audit of a company's ability to make sure, to give confidence that every, all the numbers are right. So having a material weakness come up in the risk section is never a positive thing, right? But it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with the company. Um, certainly a material weakness can mean that the company has a mistake and may need to restate its financials. But oftentimes it, it just means that they need to upgrade their financial software or they, they had some turnover in their accounting department and they just, need to, they just need to reorganize their records or something like that. There's actually an interesting study done by KPMG that found over the past four years, as much as a third of all US-based NYSE and NASDAQ IPOs have had or have disclosed a material weakness. So this issue is actually quite common. And it's and so actually let me retract. Maybe maybe sometimes it is a positive thing, right? Because recently Roblox came out, they were gonna IPO at the end of last year, and it came up that they had an issue with their accounting. And as it turns out, they need to adjust their revenue higher because of some squishiness they have in terms of how they estimate their uh, deferred revenue. So it's usually it's usually not a good thing, but I guess sometimes it does lead to a revision higher. I would say it's definitely something worth noting. And you know, you wanna the company will if you if you continue following the company, eventually they'll let you know when they've resolved this issue. So we'll have to we'll have to watch what what happens uh, with Bumble moving forward. Clearly, some concerns around slowing uh, revenue growth uh, in in 2020, but they have a very strong brand, uh, lots of tailwinds behind them as far as the strengths. So we'll see what happens. The thing when when you look at Bumble's attractiveness and relative to this this online dating space, it really begs the question of the alternatives. And the big alternative out there is Match Group. That's the big dog in the space, the top dog and first mover. To use the David Gardner uh, rule breakers language. Uh, uh, Maylan, I know you've done some, some work on, on Match Group analyzing this company. Just high level, can you compare and contrast Match Group uh, from Bumble, the company which we've been talking about so far? Sure thing. Yeah, I've looked a little bit into Match Group. I'm a fan of the company. One thing that comes to mind, you know, I am a recent college graduate. I remember being surprised that many of my peers were using the Hinge app. Hinge is owned by Match Group. Match Group owns Hinge, Tinder, Plenty of Fish, a handful of other well-known dating apps. I was surprised that Hinge was getting traction because it, again, seemed like so much effort. You know, I'm pretty sure you have to answer certain prompts about yourself on your profile. And in order to match with someone, you have to respond to one of the replies they gave to one of those questions. Uh, so it seemed like you, something you can't really be too lazy about, unlike Tinder, but I noticed it was gaining traction, and if you look at Match Group's quarterly numbers, Hinge has been growing its user count pretty rapidly, and it actually just turned profitable in quarter two of 2020. So being profitable for Hinge is at least one thing Hinge has that Bumble does not, although Hinge is a much smaller brand than Bumble. But yeah, I would say the biggest differentiator between the two stocks or two companies is, is just uh, Match Group's portfolio approach to dating apps. 
Right, yeah, just sheer scale, right? So you look at, at Bumble's market cap, I, I called out a little bit earlier, about $9 billion. Compare that to Match Group in the, the 43 to $45 billion range, depending on, on where it's trading today. There's been some volatility um, in, in the market. Uh, Match Group, you, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Hinge as, as part of, of Match's portfolio. They do have 14 properties. As you mentioned, Hinge is probably the most directly analogous as far as competing uh, uh, with the market that Bumble is going after, kind of these more kind of committed relationships, uh, th- those sorts of things. Uh, Hinge's tagline is the app that's designed uh, to be deleted. And th- there's really been some exciting growth uh, from that property. To your point, I, I pulled some stats. Uh, Hinge estimated to have tripled revenue in 2020, estimated to have grown its user base 20 times uh, since Match acquired the company. It was something that was kind of uh, a treading water uh, before Match uh, acquired them. But the story for Match, well, well we have seen a lot of, lot of positive uh, uh, growth and development in these, some of these non-tender properties particularly Hinge, the story of the company is still driven in a, in a very significant way uh, by Tinder. Tinder, the, the highest grossing app on the App Store, or has been uh, uh, for a very long time, drives 56% of revenue. Luis, when you talk about the importance of, of Tinder to, to match a, a, as a business, can you? is there a way to understate how much Tinder is, is driving the bus for this company today? It's, it's the majority of the company's revenue. So <laughs> one app, right? So it's a portfolio of apps. They have like 14 apps, but this one app, has just really taken off. However, in the past couple of quarters, we've actually seen the non-Tinder side of Match's business grow faster than Tinder. So that's actually been a really interesting development that has caused people to realize that, hey, this, this company is more than just Tinder, right? So, and you have to think about how this company was formed. I mean, it goes all the way back to like 1995 when it was just Match.com and slowly they've added so many of these other apps, they've added OkCupid, Plenty of Fish, Tinder, Hinge. And it's, it's, really, inter- it's really interesting to see that they could actually reaccelerate the growth of some of their older apps by taking some of their learnings from an app like Tinder and saying, hey, like this monetization feature, really people seem to really like it on Tinder. Let's see if people like it on Match or um, they, they started this new initiative during the pandemic to do more video and they experimented with that and they found, oh, so people in OkCupid or Plenty of Fish really like video. I wonder what happens if we add video elements to, to Tinder. So it is, you know, Tinder really is a driver, but it is interesting how the company uses its different assets to, you know, collect data and to make the whole portfolio better. Right, they have all these little incubators around in, the, in, the, in these different uh, these different assets that the company the company owns. That that, that brings me to a, a topic we were discussing a little bit uh, b- before we taped the show. This idea of Tinder, uh, excuse me, a match, which has historically been a very acquisitive company. You could almost call it a roll up in the online dating space, gobbling up lots of different companies. Versus um, Bumble, which you could maybe say is maybe innovating a little bit more. Uh, they they were the first mover on uh, Bumble's Beeline product. It was actually something that Tinder imitated with with Tinder Gold. Is that is that a fair distinction to think about Bumble as kind of the innovator in the space and and Match Group as the acquirer? Or are we just not giving Match Group enough fair enough fair credit for the work, uh, their innovations that they're doing? You know, I, I think it's clear that Match is making efforts to innovate. You mentioned, Louise, Match is uh, reaching into live streaming through its Plenty of Fish platform. And they just acquired a company called HyperConnect. And, and that offers some more live streaming video capabilities. So I, 
I don't know if I'd necessarily say that Bumble is more of an innovator than Match Group. I think it's really hard to say because they're all copying from each other and running their different experiments. I think the HyperConnect acquisition is really interesting because they're acquiring really popular apps in Asia where, you know, they might do things a little bit differently. And yeah, HyperConnect isn't as much a dating app as it is just like a live streaming and social app. But there's, there's definitely some interesting things you could learn about the way that they use their apps in Asia and the way that even companies like uh, TikTok operate or, you know, like the algorithms. And there's so much, there's so much happening that you could just look to um, across different types of apps. So another thing that's really interesting about Match is that it used to be part of IAC and it was spun off partially in 2015 and the, the last 80% of the company was spun off last year. And it's interesting. So IAC, it's like a rollup of a lot of different apps across different categories, including like Angie's List and Expedia. And you just got to think that there, there's probably things that IAC learned at Angie's List that they applied to uh, Match and vice versa. And it's hard to say like where the innovation's coming from. It might not even be coming from, you know, like other dating products, right? Right. Well, and I guess one of the one of the counter arguments you could say is that, hey, I mean, has face is Facebook an innovator? I mean, Facebook has been a big, a significant acquirer and copier, and has built a, an incredibly huge, huge company. There's an argument to be made that you know this this social. Uh, you know, online dating is this next wave of social media, social media becoming more intricate, uh, you know, online becoming more impactful and, and how people meet and really driving, uh, you know, the, being the core driver of how people meet others. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to be uh, the innovator, although I will say um, the HyperConnect acquisition, which which maybe we can talk about in a little bit of detail now, $1.7 billion acquisition, the largest ever acquisition uh, for Match. As we mentioned, this is a company that historically has been very acquisitive. So largest ever acquisition um, is significant um, um, for this business. So they have HyperConnect as, as two apps, as, as Luis mentioned, kind of in this, this live streaming field. That The interesting one for me is Azar. Azar offers live video and audio chat and can instantly translate voice and text for users that speak different languages. It's the ninth highest grossing non-gaming app on Google Play, um, the highest grossing one-on-one -on -one live video and audio chat app globally. So really a significant player in this market to begin with. As you, as uh, Maylene mentioned earlier, they've, they've had some success uh, with their Plenty of Fish product with, with, with live streaming. Looks like they're maybe looking to, to push into that um, a, a little bit more. The, the really interesting quote is, is um, uh, CEO, uh, Match Group CEO Char Dubay said in a, a note to employees that she expects the market for helping people connect uh, what she calls social discovery. That's this market that HyperConnect plays in. She expects that market to be twice the size of dating. Um, and that she says the augmented reality technology that HyperConnect is developing in connection with that will fundamentally change the way humans connect online. So when I saw that, that really kind of blew my mind because um, for, for me, you know, I, I see this as our thing and people one-on-one -on -one video chatting. And I think about, you know, chat roulette, which does not have a very good uh, connotation online. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, on her quote that this social discovery one-to-one -one video chat is going to be twice as big a, a, as dating in the future? I mean, it sounds a lot like Facebook. It sounds a lot like social networking, right? And look how big of a business Facebook is, look how big of a business Twitter is, look at how fast the company 
like TikTok is that has merged like video entertainment with social networking. And I, when I saw this acquisition, it, it got me really excited for a few different reasons. You could tell that the tech is really good. And, you know, they talk about their AI algorithms. They talk about their video infrastructure. They also talk about these AR filters and it reminds me a lot of Snapchat. So it seems like there's a lot of things there that they could probably transfer over to make the, the core Tinder or OkCupid okay, apps better. But what, what also gets me excited is this is Match finally getting into Asia. And after this deal, they're going to have a fourth of their revenue coming from Asia, which has been a market that they haven't really been able to tap as well. So, you know, yeah, like I think that there is an interesting there there is an interesting way that they could probably grow more into social networking, but there's a lot more to it than that, in my opinion. What do you think, Maylin? Yeah, I pretty much agree with what Luis said. I'll just add that the Azar app as part of its HyperConnect acquisition, the app that uh, instantly translates voice and text for users who speak different languages, that especially seems very compelling to me as the world becomes more globalized. So I'm really excited to see how that evolves. Yeah, so Match historically has, has had some some really significant uh, success with integrating acquisitions. So exciting to see um, where things go from there. What one last thing on, on Match before before we hit the road? We we mentioned earlier, Luis, how uh, Bumble's revenue growth has performed during the pandemic, and, and we, we we did mention that that non-tender brands have, have helped pull the company along somewhat. But I just want to double double underline, you know, how was how has Match performed over the past year? How did the company hold up? during the pandemic, what should we be paying attention to uh, with them going forward as far as drivers for the business? Yeah, so the pandemic the pandemic definitely slowed down the company's growth rate. And I guess if you look at it in isolation, it slowed down to 12% in Q2 of last year, which doesn't sound that bad. Uh, but this company was growing a lot faster heading into Q2. And as, as the world started to adjust the new normal, the uh, company was able to start reaccelerating its growth rate to where uh, last quarter, the fourth quarter, 2020, it got back up to a 19% year-over-year growth rate. Um, and like I said before, that was largely driven by the non-Tinder apps. And if you think about it, it makes sense that the non-Tinder apps did better because if you think about what Tinder stands for, it's, it's synonymous with being more of like a spontaneous like meet someone at a bar app or hookup app. And that's probably that's probably behavior that people are less inclined to do in this environment. Whereas apps like Hinge are more about developing uh, longer term relationships. And you could definitely see people probably invest more or still be willing to to invest more into relationships that they could probably wait till after the pandemic's over or when things are safe to to meet up. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next. The, the company did give pretty good guidance that basically revenue is going to keep growing at like a high teens rate. And what we could actually see is that Tinder business reaccelerate faster than the rest of it if if Tinder is more associated with kind of going out to bars and and meeting people in person. So that, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Um, I, I think the last thing one of the one of the stories here that I think is really interesting is just the difference between like where Match is today and where Bumble is. Match has a much higher has like double the the EBITDA margin 
like the profitability as Bumble. So Match is doing like a high 30% uh, EBITDA margin, whereas Bumble is doing like a mid 20% EBITDA margin. And we've actually seen, even though Bumble has seen its revenue uh, growth decelerate in the past year, they've still managed to, to show a lot of operating margin in the sense that their profit margin went up from 20% in 2019 to 25%. Uh, in the first three quarters of last year. So as Bumble continues to grow, it'll be really interesting to see if they could catch up to matches uh, margins. Is and that that could definitely be a bull a bull a bull case for owning Bumble. Absolutely. So so as we're heading out here into into uh, 2021, hopefully reopening uh, uh, this year, folks returning to dating. I want to ask you, Melin, are you are you are you betting on the Roaring Twenties? Do you think you know all the all the online dating uh, is going to snap back in a big way uh, w- with reopening? I think the data indicates that these levels of online dating again- engagement are here to stay, and on top of that, here to grow, whether we like it or not. And uh, data actually indicates that we don't exactly love it. I think Pew Research found that in a recent study. of men on dating apps reported feeling frustrated as opposed to confident or optimistic. Um, But the the fact is, you know, more and more adults are are meeting their spouses and and dates on online dating apps. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, a couple of ways to think about that, right? It's more more competition out there. And so uh, sometimes when when things get more competitive... um, you know, uh, but the market is changing in any way, in any event, and I don't think there's any, there's any uh, turning this ship around. Online dating is is likely to become more and more important in the future. I mean, we're doing everything online, right? I mean, the whole internet's talking about what's happening with GameStop and all, all these other things, and I think the internet's only going to become more and more relevant. So as we talk about this trend, uh, very exciting, and, and I think there's lots of lots of growth ahead. I want to ask both of you this question: If you as between Match and Bumble, which are you most excited? Uh, which would you be most excited to invest in today, and why? Maylan, I'll let you go first. Sure, I'm. As I said, a big fan of Match. For now, this seems like the more compelling investment to me. My thesis on Match is that number one, it has unparalleled brand recognition thanks to Tinder and thanks to its broad portfolio of apps. You know, it has something for everybody and for any stage in someone's dating life. Number two. Because of its many brands, it has a vast inventory of data to use in its matching and monetization algorithms. And three, Match Group has pretty healthy financials. It continues to grow revenue. It's net income positive, and it has more than $750 million in free cash flow. So between all of this, I think Match Group is well positioned to capitalize on the growing market of online dating. And and I, I see that... Match Group can still compete and thrive alongside Bumble. I don't necessarily see that this is a winner-take-all market. Luis, before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, Bumble's IPOS one uh, mentions that people use, on average, about two to three dating apps. Yeah, I I think the whole ecosystem is is just really positive. I I don't think this is an either-or. I think people are people are probably using both. Right? They're they're trying everything they like. And they're sticking, maybe they're spending more money or more time on the one that seems to work for them. <laughs> and, you know, in, in that sense, like, I like, I like both. I like them both. I think you could probably own both. I don't think it, I don't think it, you have to own either one. I think you could just bet on the ecosystem. I think they both have different 
things. They offer different things for different investors. You know, Bumble is going to be that more uh, higher growth in terms of, you know, their revenue is growing pretty fast, but their margins still have a, a long way to catch up. And it is a really innovative culture. So they could probably come out with some things that uh, they're not doing today that maybe they see Match doing. Whereas Match, you know, they have the 14 different apps. They're really acquisitive. The hyper, hyper connect deal is really interesting. They'll probably continue to acquire more things. It, it seems like it's hard. It's hard for um, you to go wrong with Match if, if you hold it for a long term. You know, I think if if I had to if I had to make one prediction, right, is that while while there's a lot of people dating online today, I feel pretty confident that this is only going to increase in in the next decade, right? So. You know, if you own Match, you you definitely get exposure to all that. I think if you own Bumble, you get a lot of exposure to all that too. Maybe Bumble has a little bit more risk because it, it's just one, it's just two apps versus fourteen. But it's such a well-run company, and they've done such a good job, you know, since they were founded. That I don't I don't think it's a bad bet to make here either. Yeah, I, I think for me, I own Match Group. I don't own Bumble today. I would like to see them, you know, report a, a few earnings reports and kind of get settled um, um, in the public markets. I, but I do think Match is the, the top dog, first mover, and for that reason, probably the, the one that, that I'm most excited to invest in. I think with Bumble, though, if you're really excited um, about um, about the founder, the CEO, and, and the story and, and the culture, I think you can, you can certainly tell a story about how they can execute and close that gap um, with Match Group um, on profitability and how they can become uh, more relevant um, going into the future. I, I think the market's big enough for, for, for multiple folks to win, and uh, I'm going to be excited uh, to continue following this space uh, as it develops. I think it's only going to become uh, more and more important, and there's probably going to be uh, other other different ways to get your hooks into this uh, into this, this business um, as an investor. As this market develops, we'll be talking about it more on the podcast. But until then, Luis and Maylin, thank you so much for joining me, and I hope to have you on again sometime soon. Thank you so much, Fools. Thanks. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Malin Quinn and Luis Sanchez, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.